Hallelujah. Anyhow, is what I've entitled these three verses. Hallelujah. Anyhow. The prophet Habakkuk is the young contemporary version of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, any exposition, any excavation of understanding the depth of Habakkuk cannot be done so without diving into the works of Jeremiah. For both prophet Habakkuk and Jeremiah serves under the rulership, kingship, the presidency of one named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim inherits the throne from his father Josiah, who was a man in which the scripture says did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But Jehoiakim was one of those faces and one of those rulers who had a different agenda. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 22, Jehoiakim is warned that he needs to follow in the footsteps of his father because the direction to which he now is taking the kingdom is going in the wrong direction. Habakkuk is overwhelmingly troubled as he looks and observes the policy making as he observes the institution of the laws, the execution of justice, he is disturbed and it comes out quite clear in verses one through four of the first chapter of his writing. In fact, the reading of this sixth century BC prophet, although it may be an archaic presentation, it is yet as relevant as relevancy can be. The prophet is troubled because he cries out to God after his process of observation. The text reminds us in verse 2 of this first chapter that he cries out to God with a concern, how long must I cry and you not hear me? His concern is, says verse 2, B clause, I'm crying out because I'm tired of witnessing violence. He says in verse 3 that you are making me to be an eyewitness of diverse iniquities, sins of the people and yet engaged and crafted into the behaviors as the sins of the nation. He says, I'm disappointed because you have caused me to look at wickedness at another degree. We call this conversation in theology what we call theodicy. It's called theodicy because we have for centuries and probably will continue to do so until eternity, we can't understand why God permits 
in the words of J.K. Mackey, such gratuitous evil. That's a big word that just simply means, God, why do you, we can understand the presence of evil if we comprehend Genesis chapter 3, we understand that fallen man means that we have now been turned over to the nature of doing wrong because we made that choice in Genesis chapter 3. But why does evil have to be so extensive? Why is it that we have to witness evil at such a level that it's even difficult for us to understand how can the human mind comprehend to do such actions. And Habakkuk says, I'm getting overwhelmed by watching the wickedness that you are permitting, the destruction and the violence that's constantly before me. And he may even be alluding to when I look across international borders, I likewise see, God, the injustices of rulers who treat people as property, who has reduced the meaning of humanity based on your image to nothing more than something rather than someone. He says, I'm troubled because what bothers me more than anything else is that you're sitting on your throne in observation and doing nothing. There it is right there in the text. He says, I am so frustrated that strife exists and not only strife, but contentions keep arising. We have been through this before, says God. Have you not recognized that we are overwhelmed by constantly seeing the same issues come up over and over and over again. And then he says in verse four, I'm so tired, so overwhelmed, that what tops this all is the administration of perverted justice. We've got laws on the books, God, but we've got folk who don't exercise them righteously. He says, I'm tired of seeing people who've got money and power and persuasion, who've got posture, can buy their way through justice. But those who are yet in the category socioeconomically poor, lower middle class, even middle class, and some upper middle class, without access to such reputable representation in terms of justice, we find ourselves on the short end of the totem pole. In fact, God, we end up being incarcerated for wrongdoings. And it's not until years later that it has been discovered, thanks be to DNA, that we were not the corporates. God, we just want to know, as you sit and watch this on your throne, in hip-hop vernacular, what's up with that? When are you going to do something? 
James Baldwin, the late James Baldwin says that if you really take a moment and look at this with a critical eye, James Baldwin says you have to, you have to recognize that you are pledging or making a pledge of allegiance to a flag that has made no pledge of allegiance to you. Baldwin says that if you recognize how that you are looking at those stars and yet those stars don't smile on everyone. When Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he took a knee because he recognized that a pledging of allegiance to the flag did not pledge allegiance back unto us. He noticed that there were some who were browned and who were black whom the allegiance exit went in another direction. And he realized that I, I'm, not, I'm not a participant of that moment, but I am a participant of the people. Therefore, I need to do something to say enough is enough. Or in other words, God, you see this injustice when you're going to do something. And because I know I can't wait forever, I, I'm going to take a knee. And even if it costs me my own livelihood, I'm willing to do that because this thing is bigger than me. In fact, it's so bigger than I that I have to understand, Lord, if, if someone doesn't become the mediator between God and man, that stands for justice because justice or injustice anywhere is injustice to all of us because at some point in time it finds my address and so Habakkuk is troubled Habakkuk in chapter 1 goes to God and says I want to know what are you going to do in verses 5 through 11, God whispers back to Habakkuk and says, when I get ready, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Habakkuk bounces back and says, run that by me again. The Chaldeans? The Babylonians? The Assyrians? How, God, my second question, how can you use someone who is just as evil as we are? How do you use someone who is just as deranged? And deranged? I thought about that. Let's, let's talk about who you are. Jehoiakim who sits on the throne. And when you read Jeremiah chapter 22, Jeremiah tells us that God has to pay a visit to Jehoiakim through the prophet Jeremiah to warn him that you might want to take into consideration what you are doing in terms of your agenda. See, Jehoiakim had declared in his own language something familiar to modern day politics. 
he had declared a national emergency. The national emergency wasn't a border wall. The national emergency was the building of a house, the creation of a reputation, the extension of his own rules that would leave a mark on history that he had been there. And the way that he did that was to suggest that I will use any one and any rule and any way of the justice that I feel I can use to bypass Congress to make sure that I can use presidential persuasion, whatever the law permits me to do and whatever the law does not permit me to do that you don't know is actually not legal, I'm going to use that as well. There it is, it's right there in the text. God speaks to Jehoiakim and tells him, listen to what he says in Jeremiah chapter 22 beginning in verse 13. He, he starts out with the one word throughout scripture that suggests that God is going to send judgment but because before he does that, he says, let me send you a warning. Whoa. That's the word. Whoa. And the the connotation of the word and its etymology is to cause you to stop and to take a step back. Whoa, let me see what's going before me. And God says to Jehoiakim, woe to him who builds his house without righteousness. <laughs> Which means I don't have to follow anybody's rules but my own because I'm the president. Look at the next line. In his upper rooms, without justice. I don't care what the Constitution says, I am my own justice. Who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wage. So because of who I am, I can declare a national emergency. But, but more than that, if you push me, I can shut the government down and make you come to work without pay because of who I am. I know y'all not listening to me, but, but hang in there with me just for a few moments. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, I'm Jehoiakim, but, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm also the 21st century president in a democratic context. I ain't called no names, I just said who I was. I was just president in the democratic context. That's what it said, I can shut it down and I can make you work without pay. It, it, was anybody a victim of the shutdown? I just wondered, did you get your check? I guess you didn't, you didn't get the check, did you? I guess not. L listen to what he says. He says, I'll shut them down and I will use them to even build the wall, I mean build my house. That's what he says. God says, look, who says I will build myself a roomy house with spatial upper rooms and I'll cut out its windows, pounding it with cleat with cedar and painting it bright red. And God says, do you become a king because you are competent in or competing in cedar? Or did your fathers eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. Did, did your father follow the rules, Jehoiakim? 
oh, but I forgot. My father was never in politics. And neither was I. So I make my rules up as I go along. Because I can do that. I know you're not feeling me. I hope, hope there are no Republicans in the room. If it is, you're in trouble. Uh, look at what it says. It says that he, he plead the case or he pleads the cause of the afflicted and the needy, then it was well. In other words, the marginalized, the poor, the immigrant, the alien, the stranger, the unemployed, the widow, the single mom or dad, the individual who is struggling at minimum wage and minimum wage doesn't pay the bills, who works two, three, four jobs trying to put food on the table and a covering on the head. Did your father change the tax laws that in the long run injures them? You ain't filed your taxes yet. You'll see what I'm talking about. You'll, you'll, you'll find it out. And God says to Jehoiakim, you, you need to get your house in order because whether you know it or not, I'm, I'm going to come back and deal with this. But Habakkuk, I recognize your anger, but I want you to calm down a little bit because I am going to use the Chaldean of all people. I'm going to use the enemy of Israel, the enemy of Judah, to bring down Jehoiakim. And rest for sure, once I bring them down, I'm going to handle the Chaldeans. And then Habakkuk says in the text, as we begin to look at it, Habakkuk says, now I, I got another problem, God. You, you see, you done, you done shifted me and messed me up again. Because are you suggesting that, that we are going to be judged by the Chaldeans? And, and if that's the case, if you look closely at verse 12, chapter 1, in Habakkuk, he says, if that's the case, God, we're not going to die. Habakkuk argues for those of us now who are witnessing the injustice of a soulless leader, we're not going to die. Even in the presence of someone who does not look at us as human beings or who has decided that there's only a certain population of the country that actually can be deemed as human and worthy of the benefit, we are not going to die. And don't you understand what Habakkuk is trying to say? Though they slay you, yet God is still going to empower you because what they mean for evil, if you just hang on to God's unchanging hand, God will reverse it for the good because his glory will always come forth in due time. And so Habakkuk says, I got that, but I'm still not feeling you. And so Habakkuk, he, he looks at God and he raises three questions in chapter one. He says to God, beginning in verse 13, he says, Lord, will you tolerate the sins of the Babylonians? That means, well, you know that the appointments that they provide for office, political offices, and you know that they haven't really been not only confirmed, but their background check don't even work out. Would you continue to let the Babylonians do this? Then he raises the second question in verses 14 through 16. He says, and, and would you let Judah be caught like fish in their net? 
Because if you read the story, he, will, he gives an example of how the Chaldeans are like people who, who go around and just swoop up people, just swoop them up, take them down to Antonimo Bay or whatever and, and lock them in. Will you let him do that? And then he gives him the third question, verse 17. How long are you going to be silent? When are you going to do something? But Habakkuk is not out of tune. Habakkuk is only just like you and I are. The difference is Habakkuk was willing to, was willing to raise the question to God. You and I are hesitant. Because we've been taught, you don't dare question God. You, you, you remember hearing that from your grandfather? You don't question the Lord's work. But thanks goodness that through evolution, and that just simply means through God using and developing the human mind, we're now raising a generation of millennials who says, hold on. If God is really who you say God is, then he's got to be big enough to handle whatever question I lay before his presence. He's got to be wide enough to be able to allow me to go out as far as I think I need to go to understand who God is. Does not the Proverbs tell us that's the purpose of wisdom? To search. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees, search the scriptures that you might find life. There's nothing wrong with raising questions to God. And that's the whole issue of theodicy. We're trying to figure out, Lord, you sit around and just watch stuff come to pass, just, just evil stuff, and don't do anything. The wicked seems to move forward and prosper. And those who are trying to be righteous Seems to get knocked down on every turn. And you, you do nothing. And God tells Habakkuk, chill out, because here's my answer. Yeah, yeah, evil always looked like it's, it's going to prosper. Yeah, evil always seems to be in the accelerated mode. But I heard the psalmist say, fret not thyself for evildoers, for they will soon be cut off. There's a worry in us. Now as a nation, we are sort of in a heartbeat. There's a worry in us as to what the next turn is going to be. We, we got a king. Of course, we don't recognize kings. We got a president who, who seems to think that the priority right now in this country is a wall. A 200 mile wall. And he has declared, I, I'm going to do whatever I have to do, even if it means declaring a national emergency, which means I get to usurp authority over Congress. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm I'm thanking God for Nancy Pelosi. I'm thanking God for a House Speaker who says, well, at least on my watch, we're going to fight you nail and tooth. And if you declare a national emergency, well, just get ready. We're on our way to court because we're going to sue you and it's probably going to go all the way to the, to the Supreme Court. We, we recognize that. We recognize that. 
And so um, we, we need a wall. Even though my director of Homeland Security says, oh, Mr. President, just, just, just so you know, I, nobody else has to know this, but I just want you and I to know. Uh, drugs coming to the U.S. is down. It's, it's down. Um, illegals actually trying to cross the border through Texas, Mexico to get in, it's down. Uh, we really don't need a wall. Mr. President, what we need is technology so we can sort of maintain security on the wall. We don't need not a wall. Mr. President, I, I don't know if this is recorded or not, but I, I just want to give you a couple of things that, like Jehoiakim, God had to remind him. There really is some other real important issues. I, I, I wrote them down. I thought maybe I just mentioned them that maybe the church can help me out. One is, uh, Mr. President, here's a national emergency. We got teachers who are quitting. Yeah. We got teachers in record numbers who are quitting because we got low pay and poor working conditions and we won't have anybody to teach our children science nor math and anything else in order for them to be competitive in a global economy. I don't know about you, Mr. President, but I don't think a wall is going to change that issue. Oh, here's another issue. Mr. President, I know you don't want to talk about it, but, but when you became president, we were 20 trillion in national debt. We are now 22 trillion. And by 2028, it looks like we're going to be around 33 trillion. And whether you know this or not, interest payments alone could stop, could top spending on defense, Medicare and children's program all combined. That's a national emergency. Y'all don't, I guess you don't see that. Yeah. Oh, and might I add, if the interest goes up, guess who gonna foot the bill? Tax payers. I just thought I'd let you know. Here's another, Mr. President. Foreigners fleeing. And see, we don't realize this because there's a media spin that suggests that foreigners coming in is a problem. But, but here's what we probably don't understand. You might not know, but 7 million Americans alone work for foreign employers. All right? Now, that's not, that's not just a token number, because here it is. For example, in 2015, foreigners invested 482 billion in America. In 2016, 486 billion. But because of your policies, Mr. President, in 2017, that dropped to 292 billion. And preliminary data shows that that number is going to fall even more by the time we calculate numbers at the end of 2018. 
Some Americans don't care what foreigners think, but money talks. All right, because got we got to get to communion. I'm going to throw something out here, and I know you're going to think about it. You're going to marinate on it. You're going to disagree with me on it. But if you just think about the rationale and the context that I'm going to say this in, you'll figure out your connected dots. Here it is. God doesn't run the country. Money does. See, I, 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 knew, I knew you'd get quiet on me. I, I knew that. I knew that. But listen to me. You do not live in a theocratic society. A theocratic society is what you find in the Old Testament. God runs the show. That's not what you find in America. That's a democratic society. And in a democratic society, capitalism runs the show, which means money. Now, now you might ask, hold on, hold on, Reverend. What does that mean about God then? Nothing. God is sitting, as Habakkuk said, sitting back there on the throne, just watching how we execute things. Because God already knows. They think that because they are a democratic society, they're going to fare better not being under my will. But I'm just going to sit back and watch them because I know in time, because they are human beings who sin and who practice greed and hatred and marginalization, it won't be long for that money is going to take advantage of them and they are going to mistreat one another just to make sure somebody gets ahead. And then they're going to call on my name. Now, you just marinate on what I said. God doesn't run the country. Money does. So let me give you this. Some Americans don't care about it because they think, they think it does. But money, money talks because it supports millions of jobs. And when that money starts walking away, I'll just give you a good example. In 1993, when President Clinton signed the NAFTA agreement, that money just said bye-bye in America and went to other countries. And the service industry almost collapsed. See, we don't think about that. That's why I'm always amazed that people talk about Mr. Pre uh, Bill Clinton, the black president, hey, 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 rah, rah. For what? This joker wiped out almost the entire middle class of African Americans. Because he pulled out the service jobs by signing an agreement with China, Mexico, that took out the middleman. And why is that important? Because you and I are ancestors, or our ancestors, we are descendants of those who had to come up in a service context. Know your history. Thank goodness Justin Fairfax told y'all on Friday night who were at the meeting where he got his name from. And he also told you how Cartersville Baptist got its name. It's all about history. And what we don't know is we are a service-oriented people. And when you move us out of that industry, you have almost handcuffed us and crippled us. Because in the words of Raniqua Allen, it takes a college degree and even an advanced degree for a black person to be considered in an upward mobile job. 
compared to a uneducated, no diploma, young white individual who will be considered for the same job. That's the kind of atmosphere that Habakkuk is facing. And Habakkuk said, Lord, I'm just kind of tired of you just sitting there doing nothing. But God says, hold on. I'm going to do what I got to do. But remember, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. Remember, I don't work off of your time and you, you live on my time. For a thousand years to you ain't but a day to me. In other words, when you think I should come in, see, you can only see a partial of the story. But because I am a, a writer of the narrative, I've already seen the whole story come to pass anyway. So I know you don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, but just wait because I'm here to tell you, if you understand me, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I just need you to hang out just for a little bit, Habakkuk. Just, just watch it. And then he tells him in chapter 2, he says, get you a pen and, paper, pen and paper and write the vision. Write what you're going to see because you're going to have to put this in history because what I'm about to do is going to blow your mind. It's going to throw you off the rock. It's going to be off the chart. You're not going to believe it, but I need you to write it down. So the other folk can come along centuries later and read about this just like they're doing on February 17th, 2019 in Great Zion Baptist. They're reading about what you saw in the 6th century B.C. I got, I got one, more, one more thing, Mr. President, about the wall. Life expectancy in America is falling. In the advance, the technological advance that we are, Mr. President, we, we should be living longer, but now we've turned a corner and we're going backwards. We're living less than what we used to because not only do we have an epidemic in diabetes, but an epidemic in pre-diabetes. Mr. President, I understand that you think that opium, that the use of cocaine and the use of drugs is high. But Mr. President, in 1980, somebody, I ain't calling no names, somebody dropped opium, somebody dropped crack cocaine into the neighborhood of low-income, poverty black folk all across in major cities in America. Mr. President, at that time, Mr. Ronald Reagan was the president. I ain't never heard nothing about no national emergency of crack addiction. Is it again once because it's the color of our skin instead of the recognition of our humanity? I just thought I'd let you know, Mr. President, there's, there's a bigger epidemic than that. Younger men and women are becoming diabetics. Hypertension is rising. Heart disease is running rampant. Cancers are taking grip in our society. Oh, Ms. President, by the way, that's happening because we are not willing to admit 
in the public, but we know behind the scenes and underneath the cabinet and behind the back doors that our food industry is utilizing chemicals that the body wasn't designed to process. And so therefore, when that gets into the human body, the body can't process it and it turns into an abnormal presence which we call a cancer. industry would lose billions of dollars. People would stop. There's a reason why organic food costs more than the general population. We can't tell them that though. We also can't tell them that it's important that we don't necessarily cure all of the cancer right now that we actually do know what the cure of diabetes is we do know what can handle and cure hypertension, but we can't tell them because the drug industry says you can't give away all of our secrets. And then that will cause us not to practice medical apartheid. But don't nobody know this but you and I. We need a wall. Habakkuk said, I don't want no wall. I want justice. And so God, I got I to hurry. God says, I just want you to know something. I'm going to handle Jehoiakim. I'm going to bring him to his feet, to his knees. In chapter 2, he says, I'm going to judge five different types of people, the evildoers, those who work behind the political scene who will smile in your face on the campaign trail and who will shake hands in the back room and make deals that marginalize and disenfranchise people. I'm going to handle them. You read the text, verse 6 through 8. That's what he's going to do. He's going to handle them. He says, I'm also going to handle extortioners who think they are secured. Watch this. Just, I'm, I'm just going to have you read through, the, just read through the lines. Extortioners who think they got away with something, who had some of their boys to be the fall guy. But once the fall guy got arrested and the attorney general let him know, you, you looking at a long time that your boy can't get you out of, the fall guy done flipped on the extortioner because he realized, uh-uh, if I'm going down, I ain't going down all by myself. And in modern vernacular, God is saying, I'm, I'm not just raising up the Chaldeans in Habakkuk Day, but I'm raising up North Koreans in 21st century. I, I got a madman who, who is at the helm of the North Korea. Mess with him if you want to. <laughs> you, you can act crazy if you want to, but you don't never know what this cat going to do. He just might get up one morning and say, I want to blow everybody up, even myself. See, that threat says to a nation that once was declared the most powerful nation in the world, you ain't the most powerful no more. I got you where I want you to be. God, we don't see the God raised them up. God raised them up because pride goes before the fall of a nation. And we already told God, 
you ain't all that important in this house. Then God says the rulers who built cities with blood and sweat of others less fortunate, verse 12 to 14, who couldn't fight for themselves. How you gonna enforce an immigration law that suggests that we need to stop them from coming in? Everybody who works in your darn hotel is an immigrant. What kind of crap is that? The woman who cleans your house. Oh, and might I get personal? Your wife? Oh, and we keep that on down low. Keep that on down low. I'm just saying. And Miss President, have you ever done any historical study? No, you probably haven't. That's why you're so ignorant. But if you do a historical study, there are no original Americans, fool. Everybody is a migrant. There's only one. And those, those were the indigenous Americans who were here, might I add, before your folk got here from over in Europe. Remember you came trying to steal their land? In fact, you did. But you forgot that if it wasn't for them, remember that first year when y'all were here and you lost thousands of your folk and they were the one who saved your behind for the next several years by teaching you how to live off of the land which you knew nothing about? Calm down, Murphy. Calm down. Calm down. Your Malcolm X is coming out. Calm down. Calm down. Then I'm done on this one because God's going to answer Habakkuk's prayer. God says, I'm going I'm to handle Jehoiakim because he used state funds. He squandered state funds to force labor to build a new palace for himself. Look at verse 12 through 14. He used state funds, federal money. <laughs> so since Congress won't give me what I want, then what I will do is I will declare a national emergency which gives me access to go to others and one is the DOD and the problem is I thought we were rebuilding the military. Weren't, weren't we developing and buying new weaponry because we're going to need it? Isn't that what we were doing? Now how are you going to go over there and take money? Didn't we not need some new F fighters and all these jets and all that? And we need some new missiles? And now you said, because I want my toy, which is the wall built, I'm going to take money from the defense of the country. God says, I'm going to judge him for that. Because what's done in the dark That's, that's what makes a snake such an interesting creature. Yeah, at some point, it's got to come out to the light. Even an anaconda, he can hang on the water for a long time, but he got to come up. And I am convinced that in God's time, the light's going to be shining. Okay, so Habakkuk said, tell you what, I got you. I recognize, God, that two things. Number one, ain't no need me trying to figure you out because you're so complex, I can't. God says, thank you. 
because Job tried the same thing and he came to realize after I had a long conversation with him, ain't nothing I can do with you, God. Even though I don't, here's my word to you, church, even when you don't understand God, and God knows I don't understand him often, trust him anyway. Even when you can't trace him. God does strange stuff. I mean, I mean, how can you not declare God to be strange when he spits in someone's eyes then go tell him to wash it out and he's going to heal? That's, that's strange medical practice. That's, that's almost a suit for malpractice. But that's how God works. God says, trust me when you can't trace me. And then Habakkuk says, you know what? I'm going to also tell the folk on February 17th, 2019 at Zion. Rest for sure when the fig tree don't blossom. And when there's no fruit on the vine. And when the trees don't yield olives anymore. And when the fields won't produce any more fruit. And when the flock is cut off and there ain't no more cattle in the field. Habakkuk says, I'm holding on to you because you're a supernatural God. Listen to it. Even when the natural doesn't work, God works in the supernatural. Watch this. He says, what God is doing is in the moment which our faith in the natural is stretched. See? When God shuts down the natural, then my faith in the supernatural has to stretch out and work for me. That's what God was trying to tell Israel over and over again. I recognize you don't know how you're going to get out of Egypt, but I put Moses there as the guiding light to help you see how you're going to get out of there if you just trust him and watch me do supernatural stuff to get you out. Now watch this. So when they're coming out of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea. I know some critics and liberals say it wasn't a sea, it was a pond, but I got one question for you. If it was a pond, how in the world do you drown a whole entire army in a pond? Because God does the supernatural by opening up the sea and making a way out of no way out of the natural to make sure that we witness the supernatural and there are some folk in the house today who can recognize there have been times when God let me experience the natural disaster by way of a famine. I didn't have nothing coming in. No job, no prospects, no nothing. But I got to tell you, every single day, every single month, every single week, I didn't go hungry. God made a way out of no way. God kept my mind intact. God did some supernatural stuff that stretched my faith in him. And Habakkuk says though there don't be any anything naturally I'm going to trust the supernatural hand of God that stretches my faith. But watch this. He says also in verse 18, not just the supernatural hand of God, but I'm going to trust the surplus hand of God. 
See, look what he says in verse 18. He says with a conjunction, yet. He says, although there's nothing growing, yet. Now, you would think he would say, yet I'm going to consult some people to see how we can get together and make this thing work. But he changes in talking about, I'm going to go to God and get a praise party going on. Look at verse 18. Yet I will exalt the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Why? Because I not only know that God stretches my faith, but also my future is in the hand of God. And Habakkuk realizes that I can't trust in what I see. You can't always trust in what you see. But we walk by faith and not by sight. God says, I do this because I give surplus. Remember the story of Joseph? So Joseph, in the abundant years, saved up because he knew a famine was coming. And when the famine came, there's a whole other sermon in that, when Joseph saw the famine that came and folk had to bring their resources to buy grain. But there's a sermon in the fact that Joseph was a little interesting here. After they ran out of money to buy for themselves, he let them offer themselves as slaves. That's a whole other sermon. I just thought I'd throw that out there so you have something to listen to or think about later on. He let them offer themselves to be possessed by the government. Yeah, 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 yeah. But here Habakkuk says God has surplus because when the famine occurs, God let me build up. Now I'm going to go old school on you and then I'm going to get up out of here. We got to do, come here, got to get up out of here. Old school. You remember back in the day, during harvest time, grandmom and granddaddy would can Come on, you remember, you remember the, the can? Squash, tomatoes, green beans, you name it. They, they get the mason jars. We would store up stuff because we knew that the abundant season would last forever. At least they knew it. It wouldn't last forever. And when the famine came and the ground wouldn't yield any fruit, Guess why nobody went hungry? Because Godmama went to the pantry. And granddaddy went to the smokehouse. And this is, this is real old school for y'all. I know that y'all probably don't remember this, but this is what my grandfather did, my grandmama did. And grandmama went outside, my granddaddy, he built a hole in the ground and he put a little makeshift door on top of it and he told us, whatever you do, don't you go nowhere near that door. I'll let you know when I want you to go anywhere near that door. And he put some hay over top of that door, but he stored stuff down in that makeshift hole. And every time it came winter, he'd go out there and pull out some stuff. And when it came time to eat, there was more than enough on the table. Why? Because God specializes in the surplus. That's the reason why when you got a whole lot coming in, save some of that stuff because there'll come a time when you're not going to have a rainy season. You're not going to have an abundant season, but you're going to have a famine season. But isn't it good to know that when you got a famine season, you got more than enough because the God that you serve is a surplus God who will give you always and continuously. 
Habakkuk says, I'm going to trust in the God of my salvation and I'm going to rejoice because God's already got my back. Then he said, then he said, he's not just a God who does the supernatural and a God who specializes in the surplus, but he's a God of strength. See what he says in the 19th verse? The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk in high places. He's telling us right there that no matter what Jehoiakim or Trump or anybody else does, they will not put out my fire on the inside of me. Because my fire is not lit every morning by who's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. My fire is not determined by what I hear on CNN. My fire is not determined by who speaks what on Fox News. But my fire is lit by the God who sits on his throne. And when I lift my eyes unto the hills from which come my help, that's the God that lights my soul up every single day. So when I get up in the morning, I look unto the hills and say, Lord, I thank you for one more day. I realize if it hadn't been for grace, if it hadn't been for your mercy, if it hadn't been for your extended love, and it hadn't been for your kindness, I would in no way be alive today. But because I know you're such a good God who keeps me alive every single day and makes my day roll on just a little while longer, I'm going to wake up with joy on the inside of my soul. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall be in my mouth. I'm going to celebrate who he is, the author and finisher of my faith and I don't know about you but I'm going to praise him in the morning, at noon, at night in my sleep on church Sunday morning at the job during the week I'm going to give him glory because he's my strength that's it I'm done I'm done